Greetings in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor Nate J.C. Gilbert Sr. coming to you on this Friday evening at our On the Wall E-Ministries Bible Institute. We thank God for you joining us on this Friday evening. We pray that you would just continue to support our ministry here and continue to pray for us that we might be able to do what God has called us to do. We thank God for our open house that we had on Saturday. We had open house for our business at Alta Vista Church Supply, our ministry here at On The Wall E-Ministries, and also our God's Gift Ministries, my wife, Outreach Ministry. We had people come by. We served uh, hot dogs and hamburgers and uh, all of the sides, and we supported. Uh, hopefully, the community helping them know that we are appreciative of our 40th anniversary, 15 years. We've been at this facility operating at Alta Vista Church Supply under our Major Ministries LLC, and we just so thankful that God has blessed us to be here, and we are continuing to uh, just to reach out and to try to reach the lost in the world, to uplift people that are going through, but also to try to be obedient to God and to serve Him as much as we can. So we are thankful for you joining us. This is our last session on the gospel possessions and prosperity we're just going to have a little ending summation of what we're going through we did a conclusion and then we followed up with the applications in our last class tonight we're just going to do this overview of the gospel and prosperity but let us get into our discussion on this evening. Let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come. And as we come, Lord, we ask that you would just give me clarity of mind and understanding that as we teach, as we open up these scriptures, that we might reveal to your people how that you want us to be able to be a light as we go out into the world to light uh, the way to others that are lost, that they might be drawn to you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you and we glorify you. We lift up this class, we lift up this ministry, that you might bless it and multiply it according to your riches and glory. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Christ Jesus' name. Let everyone say amen. Amen. The gospel and prosperity. Tonight we want to get into the definition. We never did get into it as much, but let's get into what we define as uh, the prosperity gospel. So the definition of prosperity gospel is uh, the point uh, that we want to get to is that that I hope that we look at it, that we'll get a greater understanding of how this applies to our life. So as a summary of the prosperity theology, we want to look at just one individual, uh, Kenneth Hagin, how he defines how uh, the prosperity gospel is applied. He said, Jesus, however, came to redeem us from Satan's power and domination over us. We are to reign as kings in life. That means that we have dominion over our lives. We have dominion not to be dominated. Uh, circumstances are not to dominate you. Poverty is not to rule and reign over you. You are to rule and reign over poverty. Disease and sickness are not to rule and reign over you. You are to rule and reign over sickness. And then we are to reign as kings in life by Jesus Christ in whom we have our redemption. And then, see, part of me wants us to go into try to call out people, but it's not for us to call people out, but we're going to be able to look at how this applies to us. And then, but there are ways that this can be uh, advocated in uh, uh, thriving and successful churches in our culture today. But church, there are ways that this can be advocated 
uh, in a way that successful churches in our community and they stumble is subtly deceptive. It deceives us into understanding what the real purpose of the church that God has given unto us. Read church's statements of faith. And when you talk about God's desire for our financial wholeness, you need to be aware of that. Instead of them being concerned about your salvation, concerned about uh, uh, whether you're saved or not, they trying to talk about your wholeness, your financial uh, blessings that come from God. The definition of the prosperity gospel is the theology which believes that God's aim is to make believers healthy and wealthy in every area of their life. And that's the definition. God wants us to enjoy the excesses of life. And we joy in excesses, but we live like king's kids. That's what they tell us. And the phase you'll see a lot. Hear the deception in the prosperity gospel. Uh, 3 John and 2. It tells us that I want you to pray that you might be well and you might be in good health as well as your soul prospers. So they use that verse out of character or out of context to be able to let us know that God wants us to be well and well also to prosper. And does the guarantee that you're going to be prosperous? And does this prayer guarantee that you're going to have health and wealth? And, and, and so it's kind of obscure in verse 3. Does not guarantee whether you're going to have good health or eat to everybody who trusts in God. Everybody that trusts in God will not have good health and will not be wealthy. Life goes on. He says it rains on the just and the unjust. Paul paid three times that, that he would be healed. And then he finally realized that God was not going to heal him. But he said the grace of God is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient to be able to carry us through those difficult times in life. So Mark 10, the passage is used, a popular proof, a text of those prosperity theology. Now we've seen the text mean, certainly this is not Jesus saying to Peter, don't worry, since you have followed me, that you left everything, that I have a condo in Jerusalem, a split level in the suburban of Bethany, a cabin in the mountains of Carmel, a southern beach house in Caesarea, and they're waiting for you. So you know what Peter and, 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 and that, that, that had waiting for him. He didn't have a condo. He had a cross that he ended up saying, I don't want to be crucified like Jesus. I want to be crucified upside down. He died on a cross. He didn't die rich. He didn't die with a condo. You know what Peter was dealing with. That begs the question. That's what Jesus said along with the things of persecutions going to come along. They said, Jesus, we'll follow you anyway. Jesus said, surely you will follow me. Follow me in every way. Every way in my, uh, 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 in the glory of God, but also in the suffering of God, in the persecution that comes along with the church. That comes along, not just the glory that comes along with it. Uh, he would die on a cross. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. Have those who claim the benefits of this passage paid the price? Are you paying the price for the suffering? Are you going to name and claim a persecution along with the money that you're trying to name and claim? By the word of God, I claim suffering for the gospel and beatings for the gospel. That's not what you want to claim. You don't want to hear that in the prosperity of the gospel. So if you want to name and claim something, name and claim everything. Then Psalm 103 says, the Lord forgives your iniquity. He heals all of your diseases. 
That's a verse that tells us that God does forgives and God heals. But it's not a general statement. Is this a general statement that if you praise God, that you are given a general or guaranteed promise? This is a praise to God, not a guaranteed promise. It's not promising us anything. It's letting us know that he does forgive all iniquities and he does heal all diseases according to his will. We have a sweet sister in the family, uh, and our lesson is telling us who is struggling with a deep with cancer. He has a reputation, but she is not guaranteed healing from God. This woman has been uh, a, a blessing to the church. She's been a blessing in the household of faith. But even though she's been a blessing in the household of faith, that doesn't make it that God is going to heal her just because she's in the household working for God. But God is able to what? To sustain her in the way that she looks at the word of God and believes in her life. Even though I'm going through all of this, and even though it doesn't turn out well, I will be better off and I trust God through this. That's what the praise of God in my struggles, I praise God in my trouble, I praise God in my ups and my downs, I got to give God praise for that. So you don't praise God just because you're getting some reward from God, some goodness from God. You praise God in your ups and in your downs. In the counter examples of the prosperity theology, the life of the teachings of Jesus, that teaches us just the opposite of what prosperity gospel is teaching us. Close the book, go home like yes, not the health and the wealth gospel, more like the homeless and the woundless gospel. He's telling us that we're going to lose uh, the things of this world to gain the kingdom of God. It's a, it's got a, what if God may accomplish higher purposes in our life or in our death than in our life. If things are made better for the kingdom of God, whether I live or die, Paul said, whether I live is gain, whether I die is gain. It's not gain because we are getting uh, all of the riches and the blessings of God. Suffering for God is a blessing. Uh, uh, going through persecution for God is a blessing. He said that, that blessed is he that suffer for his sake. For there is the kingdom of heaven. God is, is giving us the glory of his kingdom for us that is going through. So how about a life of teaching of Paul, not prosperity gospel? Paul didn't get all of the great things because of his teaching. He wrote more in the New Testament. Uh, uh, rather than Luke probably wrote more because of the book of Luke and Acts takes more of the writings of the New Testament word for word than it did all of the 15, 13 or 15 uh, epistles that Paul wrote. But the thing about it, Paul wrote more in the Testament, but the thing is he didn't have a glorious, prosperous life. And more likely, he had to deal with all of the adversity of the gospel. He had prosperity before Christ, but after Christ, uh, he had adversity. He was under uh, uh, the Pharisees of Pharisees. He was under the seat and under Gamiel, one of the greater teachers in Egypt and uh, in, in uh, Israel. But then as he got uh, closer and accepted the call of God, he went from the prosperity of being in the uh, uh, Pharisees' court to, to one of a what? Uh, uh, one who become an adversary to the kingdom. God may uh, accomplish what higher purposes 
in our sickness than in our health. Think about it. Many of us don't draw close to God while we're well. But in our sickness, we understand we try to grow closer to God. So sometimes God gets more out of us in our sickness than he does in our health. Second Corinthians 12 and 7 said he prayed three times. I told you earlier to take this thorn out of my flesh. But God doesn't take it away. But I mean, maybe Paul knew somebody. Paul lived like a king's kid. He said, name it and claim it and demand that God heal him. No, God had a purpose of not healing and, and God had a purpose to show his strength through Paul. He had to let Paul know that even though that you're going through, even though you have this thorn in the flesh, that I'll be with you and I'll never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. God was with him even though he was going through. See, illness doesn't, well, and health doesn't mean that your soul is saved. See, I'd rather be rich in the glory of God and have my soul saved than have the riches of earth and heaven, uh, the earth and this world, and lose out going to heaven. He says here that, uh, uh, I love Randy Alcorn's quote. He said, when Paul was taken in the chains and from the filthy Roman dungeon and beheaded in order uh, of the opulent madman Nero, two uh, representatives of humanity face off. One was the best and one was the worst. One lived for prosperity, other one lived, uh, uh, he, he didn't live for the prosperity of the earth. And one now lives in prosperity in heaven, and the other doesn't. So one lived on earth in prosperity, and the other one didn't. Now Paul lives in the prosperity of heaven, and Nero don't. We remember both men and what they were truly were, which were why we name our sons Paul, and he said that that's why some people name their dog Nero, but nobody names their children uh, Nero. And what about, uh, 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 I was thinking about uh, Jezebel. I don't see nobody naming their kids Jezebel. See, the thing is, the prosperity did not get these people into the reward that they demanded. See, they wanted God to have on their side, but if you want God to be on your side, you got to be able to not let stuff or this things of this world be your God. Then the dangers of the prosperity gospel. The dangers of the prosperity gospel is number one, it perverts the understanding of wealth. And it is uh, wealth always a sign of God's approval in our lives. Is it then what does it say about the drug dealers and all of the embezzlers and all of the gang banging and all of the mad men and despots that and in history that are going out destroying and robbing? That doesn't say anything about that. See, is poverty always a sign of God's disapproval? See, look at Christ, look at Paul, look at Lazarus, look at the story of the rich man. One, absolutely not. The prosperity gospel perverts our understanding of wealth, and it gives us the wrong perspective of wealth and how it applies to our lives. Secondly, it disregards the purpose of wealth. You know, does God give us more so that we can get more? Or does God give us more so that we can give more? 
Does God give us more than so we can get more? Or does God give us more so that we can give more? See, thirdly, prosperity theology minimizes the dangers of wealth. And it minimizes the dangers. And wealth is not just a blessing uh, that, that calls holistically, uh, that, that for, for everything that we get, the more money we get, we're going to be true and the best of it. But it's a barrier. It becomes a barrier to the kingdom. The more we have, the less. Uh, we want to try to grow closer to God. The more we try to hold for ourselves, it feeds the desire of the, of the rich, which the scripture forewarns us against, and uh, that desire to be rich. So it's dangerous uh, to be able to get caught up uh, in um, disregarding the purpose of wealth and how God gives it to us. Next, it ignores the clear shift in scripture from the Old Testament uh, to the New Testament. So the Old Testament says, yes, there is situations that there that the abundance of the promises of material reward for spiritual obedience. God did that. But in the New Testament, there was a lack a glaring lack of the promises of material reward for spiritual obedience. And you don't see it in the New Testament. Regarding the place of worship, the Old Testament, the temple was the place of worship. It was a building. But in the New Testament, uh, it, it, God don't need money to buy the body because God has given us our body. The temple is now the body. The body is the temple of the Lord. So it makes a difference. We don't need finances to take care of this body. We needed the finances in the Old Testament to build the temple, to care for the temple, to care for the logistics of the temple. But when you get into the New Testament, the body is the temple of God. Oh, I heard something today. It just blessed my spirit. A, a minister was on television. He said that we say that that uh, uh, that that, that uh, 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 nothing uh, sinful shall dwell in, into the, the body. So no unclean spirit can dwell in, in, in the temple of the Lord. So then we look at scriptures and try to justify that. So there is no scripture that says that there are no, no unclean spirit. So uh, that, that, uh, that, that, uh, that spirit and an unclean spirit can't dwell in the same temple. He says that that's not so because you had an unclean spirit, but in spite of your unclean spirit, the spirit of God came in and, and it pricked you to be saved and, and gave you the option to give yourself to Christ. He says that unless the spirit of God draws them, that, that uh, who can be saved? So, yes, the spirit of God does come in unclean spirit temple because it came in to save you and me. This temple was unclean until God came in and transformed it into what it is now. So I thought about prosperity theology as I uh, walk through the slums of our towns and our cities and you see people living uh, in shacks and then you walk over uh, human feces and in the streets and everything and, and then you see people living in luxury. See, that, that's not what it is. Regarding the purpose of blessings, the blessings of God uh, so that we can be able to get the word of God to all the nations. Into the Old Testament, you might come and see God's glory. New Testament, you see God's people might go and tell of God's glory. And prosperity theology does not take the charge into account. Next, prosperity theology, it commends selfish luxury over selfless uh, generosity. Can I say that again? Uh, the prosperity theology, it commands selfish luxury instead of selfless 
generosity. And it uh, explicitly encourages people to indulge in their pleasures that they can afford with the money that they have. And existence in your best life is because you experiencing everything that the money can afford you. It's an explicit and, uh, to encourage you and lead people to ignore the poor, ignore the needs of others by what? Piling upon themselves the pleasures of life. And then again, I say, I thought that prosperity gospel uh, was as you look at the differences of people going through life. And the thing is, it does not work when people are struggling and everything. It really, it really hurts telling people that are in a slum situation that uh, you just pray to God and he'll bless you and everything is going to be all right. When suffering is all around you, when, when slum and situations and poverty is all around you, how are you going to tell people that, that you're going to be lifted up? You should let people comfort them in their situation. See, the sixth danger of the prosperity theology is it appeals to the desires of the flesh instead of calling people to deny the flesh, which is why we see all scripture pointing us to that. Seventh, it encourages people to waste their lives uh, on things that do not last, the temporal things of the world. Matthew 6, uh, eighth danger, it exalts God's gift, things that we should receive from God above God's glory, the treasure that we have in God. It makes our gift from God more important than the treasure that God put in our hearts from him. In invitation, he says, come to God and get stuff. That's not in the gospel, even good stuff. That's why Jesus was countering in uh, John 6. He said, I am the bread of life. If you want everything that you need, I provide everything. Your bread of life, the water in dry places, bread in the starving land. You know, that's what God provides to us. Everything that we need. God said, I am the bread of life. Everything that you need, I provide to you. So the prosperity is not to provide your needs. Your needs are provided by me. Next, it abuses God by making him the means to our end. Oh, if God is a ticket to more stuff, then God is a tool our man-centered desires will come to an end. Instead of trusting God for our needs, we start to use God for our wants. Instead of trusting God for our needs, we started asking God for our wants. Instead of God-centered intercession, prayer becomes man-centered coercion. We go to God and say, oh God, I want, I want, I want, I want. Instead of thanking God for what he had, thanking God that he's uh, having the intercession for somebody else's need, we're into the I want, I want, coercing God, trying to get us what we need. So how that affects and much else is dangerous. It subtly infuses all of Christianity with some type of a thing that is outside of us instead of what's inside of us. And this is evident how uh, in little uh, that we give, this is evident in how little we give, even in how much we own. Brothers and sisters, in subtle ways, we believe this, and it is killing us every day because of the fact that instead of our giving uh, to be God-centered, our prayers are always self-centered, thinking that God is going to fulfill our wants to be able to satisfy the lust of our flesh. You know, he says that John says the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You know, lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and pride of life, all of those things lead into a, a, a world that we cannot handle. Eleventh, 
Uh, it overlooks the desire of suffering. When you get so caught up into prosperity gospel, you ignore the, 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 the design of suffering that God has. Christians may suffer despite their righteousness. I don't care how righteous you are. You're going to have some suffering for God's sake. In fact, Christians may suffer because of their righteousness. Your commitment to God will cause you to suffer if you're wholly committed unto him. See, suffering is ordained by God for his purposes. In fact, this leads us to the last one. Prosperity theology fails to acknowledge the necessity of suffering. Everyone who leads uh, to a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted and you will have some suffering in your life. So the gospel, prosperity, and persecutions, this leads us to the final conclusion. The gospel, prosperity, and persecution, we talked about Laodicea in the church of Smyrna. Laodicea, prayer for a wealthy church experiencing uh, 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 prosperity. And you know I read a quote from the prosperity or persecuted uh, Romanian pastor who listened to it. He says, in my experience, in my experience, the persecuted Romanian pastor, in my experience, 95% of the believers who face the test of persecution, they pass the test. While 95 people, a percent of the people that face the test of prosperity, they fail the test. You cannot get enough to be able to satisfy all of your wants and your desires and your needs. But the thing about it, when you get persecuted for Christ, you feel a wholeness in you. When you end up getting a, a prosperity that's failing in your life, the more you get, the more you want, the more you lose, the more you try to get, this thing causes harm in your life. See, God helps us, and that's the basis of Revelation 3. God help us to seek the treasure in Christ. So God help us to close our lives in Christ. So he talks about, uh, about you and, and how you should think you're rich. He don't tell us about that. Don't think about you're rich. God is trying to help us to fix our eyes on him, not on the things of this world. So he's encouraging us tonight to open our eyes, see clearly, and God will help us not turn away from Christ. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. He says that if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So that's the prayer for us right here. Prayer for an impoverished church facing persecution. This is the prayer that our brothers and sisters around the world in Smyrna, God give them faith that conquers fear. Jesus said, do not fear what you have about to suffer. All of us going to have to deal with some suffering. So what God is encouraging us not, don't be afraid. In your poverty, in your persecution, God give them the patience and the perseverance to be able to press on in spite of the challenges, in spite of the conflict, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the persecution. God give them the patience and the perseverance to be able to press on. And then God give them the endurance to be able to hold out until eternal life. So the prayer for all of us, amidst all of the prosperity gospel, all of the poverty, all of the persecution that is going around, God may our lives count on earth as our eyes are fixed on heaven. Let's not get our eyes off of Christ. Keep your focus on him. Paul said that I press toward the mark of the calling of the high 
calling of Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to press for it. I want to be able to reach for it. I want to have a desire to grow closer to God, not to be able to seek the great things of this world, the pleasures of this world that prosperity offers me, but I want to be rich in love. I want to be rich in, in patience for one another. I want to be rich in compassion for one another. I want to be rich in the, having the love of God. He said, what are the two greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord with all thine heart and then love thy neighbor as thyself. If you're looking for prosperity, if you're looking for the riches of God, Get those things that are rich that will get you a reward of eternal life. The riches of this world will cause you to lose your life, lose your soul. But what God has in store for us, he said, put your hope on things that are, uh, will not rust away, the things that will not fade away, things that will not corrupt. But put your hope on things that are what? Incorruptible. The incorruptible crown that God provides to us through his darling son, Jesus Christ. So the prosperity gospel is debunked. We do not live to have the prosperity of, of things in our lives, but we live to have the greater hope of the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. We're going to come back on our next study is looking at the body of Christ. We're going to get into the body of Christ, the church. And we're going to have that study. I will be downloading and uploading uh, the, some uh, lesson formats for our initial classes. But uh, we're going to uh, go to our website, uh, excuse me, go to my Facebook page. And hopefully next week I will upload the link that will get you into the study form, into the study literature that we're going to use for the next class, the body of Christ. But we thank God for this prosperity class. Uh, it helped me so much to understand of how much God wants me to focus on him. Get my eyes off of this stuff and what stuff can do, but keep my eyes on him that can give me the rewards of eternal life and to give me the joy and the happiness and the peace of mind that will come once I get him in my life. This other stuff will not bring you happiness. It will, bring, it will not bring you joy, but it will bring you all of what you don't need for to have eternal life in your life. God bless you again. Let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this class. And we ask that you would just bless the students tonight. Bless everyone that is tuned in. Open up their hearts to know, Lord, that our investment is in you. Our investment is in the kingdom of God, not in the riches of this world, but we want to invest in you where we can have eternal rewards that will last forever. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you and be bless you. Those who have tuned in, those that are looking at us tonight on Facebook, we thank God for your presence and we ask that you just continue to pray that God will what? Multiply his blessings in your life so that you can become a blessing to somebody else. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. We'll see you again next week. Come and join us on our Sunday morning uh, for Mother's Day service. We are excited about Mother's Day service coming up for our Sunday school hour at 9 o'clock and 9.30. We come in in our worship hour. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you. And we'll see you again. Be blessed.